Ghostman Horror Host here. The room of the mad nun. Blake Baxter pulled up the handbrake of his Range Rover and gazed at a gloomy limestone building in front of him. It was typical of the hotels he had been sent to review, an old or dusky building with much history, perfect for an atmospheric inn in the middle of nowhere. Well, not exactly, not well, where exactly Columbus River uh, was a popular village on the northeast coast of England. Its rugged, rock, rocky beaches attracted thousands of tourists each year, who looked to to tick migrating seabirds off their lists and walk in blistering cold winds. It wasn't the type of tourist destination Blake would appre- could appreciate. A London boy, more accustomed to the big city, apt to choose hustle and bustle over peace and quiet. But his television show, The Hotel Healer, covered its fair share of rural locations. It tended to be the remote hotels that were in the most need of a healing, ramshackle old buildings with strange eccentric staff and owners of delusions of grandeur. The two-story hotel from the mid-century, 19th century, the nunnery house suddenly seemed to fit that description. The show's producers liked to put it at least one hotel in each series at a ghost story attached, a bit of a sideshow to keep the viewers entertained. Entertained editor will probably ham it up too, adding eerie music and tongue-in-cheek ghostly cutaways. Tonight, Blake would stay in the room. 18, the room of the so-called mad nun. He hadn't researched it. He never looked into ridiculous stories. Indeed, instead concentrating on the unique selling points of the hotel, a menu, the history of the area, that could inspire a new theme, possibly something the owners had missed. A television show's van pulled up in the parking space next to him. Four crew members jumped out and began unloading the cameras and various pieces of filming equipment. It was Blake's cue to begin. He flicked his zippo light, uh, hit a lit a Melbourne light, and stepped out of the car. Room 18? asked the receptionist. His eyebrows raised in Hilbert's slant. He was a tall, engaging man with slick black hair, jowled black back against his scalp. The corners of his eye, mouth was upturned in beginnings of a snug grin. He glanced up, glanced at the rolling cameras, clearly comfortable under the glare of the lights. His name badge gleamed rich as central to the metal. I assume you know the history. Sure, it's the, the room of the man nun. Don't tell me, no one has ever spent the full night in there. Maze don't service it, strange noises, bumps in the light. Am I right? Richard's grin broke off out fully, exposing his neat white teeth. No, nothing of that, like that, of course. Our stories are people staying in the room regularly. I suppose it's an attraction of sorts. You do hear of stories, and room does have a certain atmosphere. I've never heard of an occasional titter. As I walked down the corridor, I don't think a mad nun would, would mean me any harm. Blade eyed him suspiciously. A titter? Creepy, may I ask? Why the nun wouldn't hurt, harm you? You obviously don't, haven't done your research, Mr. Baxter, he said, with a good human touch. A mad nun, nun only kill children. Blake stared a little at the stark matter-of-factness of the gruesome statement and rolled his eyes towards the camera before focusing back on Richards. Ah, thank you for that, Mr. Richards, comfortingly. Richards' grin widened as he dangled the key in front of Blake's eyes. It was an old-fashioned iron key, long and grey, with a plastic tag, a bow with a large black 18. 
Blake grabbed it and turned away. Third floor on the left, end of the corridor, Mr. Maxer, and good luck if you want to find out a little about the mad nun and the history of the building. We have a small museum in the basement. Blake raised his hand in thanks without turning back. He winked at the camera and glimpsed with humour. OK, let's see what room 18 and the man nun have in store for me. The room doom looked innocent enough. Mundane even, it was large oak door, like the others with a plastic black bagoo. A white 18 printed on. Blake unlocked the door and opened with a heavy, creaking sound. Lead the door. Jesus, Blake grasped as he walked through the door. The camera was with him with his face catching a look of pure ex- expectation. This room is bloody foul. He turned the camera and launched his trademark chariot of criticism. It stinks like an old cupboard. The wardrobe is peeling off. I can spot it damp in every corner. I can't pop my grand- dead grandmother in that horrible bed. And, that, and the view, he walked over to the window. He heaved it open to see grey car park. I haven't seen, had better views out of pop toilets. The crew laughed. Ray, Rob Braden, the director, slapped Blake on the back. Cracking stuff. Can't wait to see how he, this turns out. Could even be better than the castle in Herefordshire. I'd like to be something especially bad to beat that household, Blake replied. But if there's anything going to do it, this dusty hovel has got as good a chance as any. Dinner at the Hotel's restaurant was bland and the court and low quality offering. Blake the opportunity to unleash a typical thunderous dressing down to Dawson, the hotel manager. This was followed by a day's filming in the local area, with several shots of Blake staring moodily out towards the glooming horizon over the sea. When he returned to the hotel, Blake noticed a slight shift in the atmosphere. Riches, a receptionist, was avoiding his eye contact, possibly due to the angry words he shot his way over the substandard dinner. No, need to look like that, mate, Blake said, just for the cameras, and just get some privacy out of this. We will turn it all around. Anyway, give, I give Dawson the thick of it. It's not that, Mr. Baxter. I was just wondering if you're really going to stay in room 18. We have made up room 24 for you. If you want to film in 18 and even move across to 24, then it'll be much better. Blake laughed. Room 18 was her plan. The room and the man none. Oh, you tell me there's a problem with that. Not at all, sir, said Mitchell said. It's just that there would have been some activity reported there today. Blake shook his head. You could have waited until the cameras were rolling again before putting this on me. Okay, I'll play along. What kind of activity? The tinkering of the old wrench. Riches nodded, his perspiring slightly at the temples. Yes, yeah, tittering. One of the maids walked past the room and heard, but she said there was an almighty heat when she walked past. A voice was was some was saying something. Blake interrupted him with loud laughter. Oh shit! I wish the cameras. On, can we have have this conversation again? Richard's expression didn't change. Mr. Baxter, this is the most activity we ever had in this hotel. Everything else has been a whisper here, a sound of laughter there, a loud footstep. Blake's smirk remained. Okay, so what did this maid hear? What did the nun have to say for herself? Any word, words of wisdom? She didn't hear it 
didn't hear it clearly, but she did. She said it was a terrible high pitch she could have. Only make out one word, which was it? Sin. She heard the word sin over and over again. A film was standard fare for the supposedly haunted hotel room. Blake was filmed in the dark with a torch, investigating strange noises. The room was lit moodily, and Blake put out an almost cartoonish act of fright, complete with chattering teeth and jerky swerves of unseen horrors in a corner of his room. Ooh. As they finished filming, the crew headed out the door. Blake went to the bathroom again to brush his teeth. The director looked at him, shot. Wait, boss, you really stay in this room? Yep. Blake nodded. Why not, mate? You're not even staying in the hotel. We booked the hotel down the road. Come and join us. We have a few pints in the bar before bed. No, I think I'm going to see this one through, Blake replied. Wow, you're a braver man than me, Rob said. Looking around the room, oh well, rather you than me, Ross. He don't know if he did feel frightened while in bed. It took a good two hours to fall asleep. It was peaceful, dreamless sleep, until a voice grew from the shadow to rouse him. It began with a thin whisper and grew louder and louder, until it seemed that someone was shouting from within his own head, Born in sin, the voice repeated over and over in high-pitched Irish accent. Born in sin, born in sin. The words repeated or repeated around his head. In unseen voices, thick accents, sin came out sin. He looked around the room, which was now glowing with red light. His eyes darted to the source of the glow. All around the floor, orange-red flames grew larger by the second. Dicking against the walls, born in sin, born in sin. A three words vibrated Blake's whole body, as if they were standing out of a giant speaker. He could feel the heat from the flames rising and trying to pull himself out of the bed. He couldn't. The invisible force seemed to hold him back, hold him down where he lay. I'm going, I'm going to burn to death, he thought to himself as he closed his eye tight, his heart head pounding from the increased sets of chanting. When he opened his eyes, he made, he, he, what he saw made his stomach l- lurch violently. He vomited the previous night's dinner into his own chest. A man none the ancient face was less than an inch for his own. A loose skin hung from a skull like dripping wax. Each line and crevice was accelerated by deep wrinkles, which, oh, while her eyes stared intensely with glazed, glazed glare, he could smell her, a pudid mixture of stale milk and rotten fruit. Her uh, habit was dirty with blackened scorch marks decorating the whole white material. As he looked at the gargoyle face of the mad nun, broke into smile, exposing yellow teeth, unleashing a gust of hideous breath. Her mouth opened and the words slowly came out, born in sin. The nun threw back her head and began to laugh. It was a shrill, high giggle and the tittle that Richard had described only hours earlier. The sound cut through him right to his heart. At once at once the nurse nun's voice laughter stopped. She jerked back to Blake, her expression a, a, a severe mask of anger. She raised a bony hand towards him. Uh, uh, as her hand passed over Blake's face, it brought dark it brought darkness. He felt the heat recede and found himself in a deep sleep. Blake awoke to a raspy knock on the door. He thought he swiped his cold sweat from his brow. He sat up, his head lazy, hazy from sleep. You're late, boss, said Rob from behind the door. 
Filming was supposed to start ten minutes ago. Minutes ago. You need to tell those jokers how crap their breakfast is. Blake put his head head into his hand and sighed. What a terrible dream, he thought to himself. The image of the man nan's face still clear in his memory, as if he had burned there. He began to laugh and shook his head. How strong the power of suggestion might be. I'll be in five minutes, he shouted about Bob through the door, and jumped in the shower. Breakfast is as awful as expected, giving Blake the chance to brush off his frightful night of doing what he did best, shouting at beleaguered photellers. After a full day of filming, Blake decided to head to the hotel museum, directed by a weary Richards. Are you all right, Mr. Baxter? As he asked, he asked his eyebrows now raised in concern, rather than humour. Did the wired line keep you up? Bob Blake hesitated. No, yes, I mean, well, you saw her, Mr. Blake. Room 24 is rubbish, Blake interrupted. I just had a bad dream, it's all, all of cameras, remember? Richard smiled out of politeness and glided Blake to the small, dusty room in the basement. It's all, all here, a history of the building, a framed newspaper cuttings and photographs on the wall. He pulled out the old photographs of the album from the bookcase. This contains all the clippings from the night of 19th September. 1932, 1932, the year of the fire in the orphanage. You really don't, didn't do your research, do you? Blake shrugged. I'll, le- I'll leave it to you. I'll be on reception if you need me, Richard said, and left the room. He held, flickered through the new first few pages of the fountain heaven, which is full of newspaper kickings. The purse was headlined, Disaster, Nunnery, Blaze, Kills, 18 Orphans, and None. Breaking through the pages, he stopped halfway through. His heart jumped, a stark sense of cold terror stabbed into his brain. He immediately felt a crepping headache emerging. Staring back at him, the photo album was the man nun, the wrinkled, sagging face, the cold, the colourless eyes, the co- and the crooked teeth exactly the same as the hideous creature that appeared to him in his dream in room 18. Did an uncle's death, death blaze read the headline, Blake flickered through more pages and the same photos using each article that headlines progressed including tool that had made Blake break into goose pumps crazy nun calls orphanage devs investigating rules and killer nuns saw demons each time he said same black and white images stared back her name was Patricia Cullion. Blake replaced the album on the shelf, looked at the photographs on the wall. There were groups of nuns in most of them, all with standing signs reading Columbus Ravine Nunnery. The year the photos all went were way back to 1911. Blake scanned the wall and stopped. When he came to 1932, of the 20 nuns on the picture, he immediately recognised Priscilla Cullion. Even a grainy group photograph of her eyes seemed to stare straight through him. She lived in the room 18, said a voice from behind Blake, and made his already fragile heart jump once more. Blake turned to see Dawson, the hotel manager. He had shouted at yesterday, standing in the doorway. <coughs> <coughs> the kids still trapped about him. In the playground to scare each other, he continued, Silla, Silla, child killer. It was her craze that begun the blaze. 18 burned and we stayed a bit like musical statues the first person to move was caught by the man nun 
So the game went until the kids were but. I used to play it at Columbus Ravine Junior School. I suppose kids always make a game out of the most of carved things. Indeed, Blake nodded and gulped. Mr. Baker, Baxter, you look like you could do with a drink. They took up a spot in a tiny bar to the left of the hotel's entrance. Dawson poured Blake a generous portion of whiskey on rocks. Blake sniffed the glass and took a large swig. Where, the orf- where was the orphanage? It was adjoining building at the back of the hotel. I actually think its internal initial purpose was a barn for horses. I guess back then the nuns used to take in many children, either born or out of wedlock or abandoned or orphaned from some kind of tragedy. So, with excessive demand, they repurposed the barn. And how's the children there? Ah, Blake scoffed. Does this sound right? Stick to the orphan kids in the barn. Dawson got a Blake with it. With his eyes caught to one side and noticed a wetness in the cat-terrigen pan his eyes. This has touched a nerve of you, Mr. Baxter. I suppose you could say that, yes, I was an orphan, Dawson. My mother died from heroin dose when I was, uh, was days old. I never found out why my, oh, found out who my father was. How, who could I, how could I? So, yes, I suppose the story of Urson was supposed to be caring for 18 orphans and instead of burning them alive hits the nerve. As you put it, it smarts a little. Sorry to hear that, Mr. Maxer. He gently placed his hand on Baxter's shoulder and poured another whiskey. She was really was mad, you know, Priscilla Quipetsy. Today, you're probably diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. One of the other knows noticed about her behavior strange. Before the incident, she started talking about the orphans as if they were evil. She thought they were devil's work, that they were dangerous. The other nines just dismissed it as its, its intricacy. Of course, she never forgave herself for overlooking it. It was found hanging and was found hanging in the quarters, but two months later she had moved into Priscilla's room. Room 18, Blake confirmed. Why have I never heard of this? Blake took a sharp intake of breath. If it's well known around Columbus Ravine, a local area, I think it gained some natural coverage in the 30s. Now, every now and again, one of the ghost hunting programs comes around, and but it's mainly due to, due, due to its own positivity. I uh, have expert knowledge in the area. I have promoted it quite heavily. Blake put, put his glasses around and looked sternly at the hotel manager. You think the death of 18 children is a commercial opportunity, Dawson? Oh, come now, Mr. Baxter. Why are you here? How many tours make thousands of tours down in the east end of London telling people about the story of Jack the Ripper? You think any macabre story doesn't have a gruesome victim at the end of it? Anyway, it is not. It's not like they, not like they want. Blake shouted, "Not like they had their family who would be upset." So these younger orphans were forgotten, other than to make money for you. They are white from history, other than the, other than the convenience of for lining your pocket. Calm down, Mister Baxter. You are right, of course. I'm a businessman. I restored this magnificent building and kept his history alive. Yes, a dark history. Not his all that, but not his that out of not a service. If I don't run this hotel, there would be no memory at all. 
backs of white waved his hand, gesturing that they should agree to disagree. He pulled out his zipper lighter from his pocket and began flickering the flame and off for his absently. Can I ask you something? Have you seen her, the mad nun Priscilla? No, of course not. A few staff have said a few things, but it's all psychological fact of hearing the stories. A mind is a powerful thing, Mr. Dawson. I have no belief in ghosts, just a combination of eerie atmosphere and frightening tales influencing the mind's eye. But I sense that you want to tell me something to the contrary. No, not really. I suppose I had a dream and so on. She looked exactly the same as she does in the photograph, which, which I've never seen before. How would, could you explain that? It sounds very disturbing. But I told you that there, there was a mad old nun that would have... That would you mention? I trust her wrinkled face and pierced eyes fit the very description of your mind joined by the dots. We had thousands of guests say in the room meeting, Mr. Baxter. A few have come out white as a sheet, but they all come out unscathed. Richard thinks seems to think he's he's real. He's concerned about me staying there. S- said there would be more activity since I came along. Yes, he does believe, as some staff Dawson replied, laughing. I suppose part of the build-up of the atmosphere may be part of their own suspicions, of course. I made his tittering, and that's what we put in our books. And, whistle, whistle. Um, and the website articles, the old woman tittering just sounds just a little bit crazier. More time frame. No, no, more commercial cyclism. But you do not. But you nothing to worry about my, by staying in that room. Then I'm not worried. Blake replied, "I'm going to stay in this bloody room, eighteen tonight." Richard thinks the things he's real is concerned about me staying there. Said there'd been activity ever since I came along. Yes, he does. He does believe. So so some of the staff. Deutsch replied, laughing. I suppose part of the building, uh, the atmosphere, and maybe part of their own suspicions. Of course, amazed her here, tittering. That's just what we put in all our books and websites. The old woman's tittering just just sounds like a little bit crazier. More terrifying too. I remember those commercial sicknesses, but you have nothing to worry about staying in that room. I do not worry, Blake replied. I'm going to stay in this bloody town. It sounds very disturbing, but I think I told you there was an old, old, mad only un. But what would you imagine? I trust the wrinkled face and piercing eyes fit the very description. I think your mind joined the dots. We have thousands of guests staying in the room, eighteen, Mister Baxter. A few have come out white as sheet, but they all come out unscathed. Richard seems to think that she's real. You're concerned about me staying there. Said there had been more activity since I came along. Yes, he does believe. As I do, the staff, Dawson replied, laughing. 
I suppose part of the build-up of Atfield may be part of their own suspicions. Oh, of course, the maid here are twittering. That's just what we put in all the box and website articles. And old women twittering just sounds a little bit crazy and terrifying, though. And now I know more co-emotional sickism, but you, you have nothing to worry about by staying in that room. I'm not worried, Blake replied. I'm going to stay this night, but the room 18, 18 tonight. I'm not going to let a child killing them beat me to whether she's real or not. Dawson grinned. Very good. Don't go get some sleep, and tomorrow you can make my hotel look fantastic. The talk with Dawson and the other two whiskies two whiskies made Blake feel better about staying in that room with Dean. A nightmare the previous night of mere distance memory. He brushed his teeth, turned out the light, and was asleep within five minutes. He woke to a room that was lit softly with red glow. Rubbing his eyes, he looked around. No other bad dream, he thought. Hazily, on each wall, a large black crucifix, hanging upside down, had appeared. He could hear the cracking of a fire. And just the previous night he saw flick flames flickering the bottom of each wall. I'm dreaming, he said out loud and pinched himself hard on the soft flesh of his arm. He didn't, it had, did not change. Still the light glowed with liquor at the red flames. He looked over to the crucifix and saw they were growing bigger and bigger, spreading darkness across the pale walls, cutting thick vein-like paths. Blake buried his head in the pillow and the voice began, Born in sin, born in sin. Blake slowly turned and opened his eyes. What he saw filled his heart with icy terror. It was the deranged, wrinkled face of Priscilla Colendium, starring its spelling her wrenched breath onto him. There was no doubt it was her, the insane, piercing eye, the yellow, rotten teeth seemed to stick out, a face like a hideous Halloween mark. He tried to scream, but nothing came out apart from a dry yelp. Princess Nun's mouth broke out into a sickening grin. She, she raised a bony finger and traced it down, traced it to wake Hmm. A talk with Dawson and two large whiskies make Blake feel better. But staying in the room 18, the nightmare of the previous night, a mere distant memory, he brushed his teeth, turned out the light, and was asleep within five minutes. He woke to room of lit softly, he read low. Rubbing his eyes, he looked around, not another bad dream. He looked, he thought hazily, on each wall, a large black crucifix hanging upside down by the beard. He could hear the cracking of a fire, and just as the previous night, he heard, he saw flames flickering the bottom of each wall. I'm dreaming, he said out loud, and pinched himself hard on the soft flesh of his arm. It didn't, didn't change. Still the light glowed with a flicker of red flames. He looked over the crucifix and saw they were growing bigger and bigger, spreading blackness over the pale walls, cutting vein-like grip paths. Blake buried his head in the pillow, and then the voice began, Born in sin, born in sin. Blake slowly turned and opened his eyes. He saw his fill, what, he, what he saw filled his heart with icy terror. It was the deranged, wrinkled face of Priscilla Colonian starring, 
staring and spelling her rancid breath into him. There was no doubt it was her. Insane, piercing eyes and yellow rotten teeth that seemed to stick out her face like a hideous Halloween mouse. He tried to scream, but nothing came out apart from a dry yelp. The mad man's mouth broke out into a sickening grin. She raised a bony finger and traced it to down Blake's forehead. His eyes grew wide with paralyzing horror. Then she spoke again. Born in sin, born in sin. She shouted that last word in the dark, deep, throaty yell. Blake saw her face transform. Her nose began to drip slowly to cut like candle wax. The skin around her eyes drooped, making the eyeballs jump further out from her bony sockets. The sin slipped from her head like molten cheese, leaving a grinning skull only an inch away from Blake's face. This time he did scream a high-pitched, desperate sound. She silenced him by raising the bony finger and spoke once more. You will see children of sin. You will see. A finger rose to his head and over his eyes. As she did this, Blake's vision shifted to a dreamlike haze. He was in a wooden building which smelt strongly of hay. He looked around and saw several bunk beds containing sleeping children. He walked over involuntarily, not in control of his own body, to a couple of banks and saw that the Children's eyes were a natural bright red. They were glowing vividly like a heartbeat. Shining bright red lights illuminated the room. He walked backwards, but still not in control of his movements, and picked up a large petrol canister, which he emptied out on each bunker bed. Blake looked down at his hands and saw that they were wrinkled and thin. An old woman's hands, he realised what was happening. He tried to scream, but he stifled by the body he was trapped in. The body of the man nun, Priscilla, the hands which were not his own, struck a match and threw it down. The flames burst forth. Immediately he could feel himself on fire. He looked down and saw the habit he was wearing, disgrading, dis, 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 interrogating as the fire took hold. He felt the raw heat of his skin blistering and melting, and sunk to his knees. He heard the tittering. It was the coming from his own mouth. The irking in his head, but most of all the children burning, dying. He felt he felt their fresh cooking, a sickly acid smell, and made his own skin cool with disgust. Got to get out, he said, hearing his own voice. He shouted at the top of his voice, straightening a muscle in his body. Push it to curtains and stop right now. It ain't made no difference. Still, he felt the burning and heard the children's death screams. He was going to die in the body of the mad nun, while his own body was in room 18, in the very room she haunted. He had one more go, concentrating and focusing on every word. Silla, Silla, Chokella. It was her craze that began the blaze. 18 burned, and we still stay, we will stay stiller. The scene in front of him disappeared. Blake was back in bed. Room 18, but, but all was not right. A flame still caressed the walls, while the red glow still still in the room. In its eerie glow, he looked to his left and saw the mad nun staring at him. His, her evil eyes narrowed. You were born in sin, she yelled, and launched herself towards him. But she didn't connect, and he, he felt nothing. She just seemed to land into his body, almost appearing to be absorbed into him. Then, as it happened the previous night, Blake found himself plunged into darkness. 
Blake awoke the next morning, pale and still terrified, the events of the night looming in his mind. Another nightmare, he asked himself out loud. He showered and dressed his teeth before dressing for the final day's filming. The day went well. A team of specialists spent six months refurbishing the dining room bar and two of the ba- main bed- bedroom suits. Transformation made the old memory hotel look fantastic. Blake introduced a new menu. Made me base a seafood from the local area, guests that sampled it, a mixture of locals and national food critics. Praised it without exception. Blake had done his hotel, hotel, hotel job instantly. He was leaving, the crew were packing up. He noticed Richard Dawson waiting at the door. Blake walked over, shook her hands. Great program. Best of luck with the hotel. Thanks for coming, Dawson replied. I think the publicity refurb would, will help us. Richard said, before you go, how was, your, how was last night? Did you see the madman again? Only in a bad dream, Blake replied. No such thing as ghosts, gentlemen. Dawson nodded, but Richard looked disturbed. What is it, Richard? Blake asked. Oh, it's probably nothing, but just the, that, just the night poder. So he heard a scream from your room last night. When he went up to investigate, he saw, he, 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 heard, he said he heard you shouting is a good old-fashioned rhyme about an end, you know. Said a celebrate cloud killer. Blake's face dropped at the moment he came back to him. A sudden dose of clarity. He brushed it off and offered an unconvincing smile. Ah, oh, it was just doing something for the camera. You know, hamming up the ghost story. Of course, Dawson replied. Goodbye and good luck, gentlemen, guys. Blake said and walked towards his Range Rover. Blake had only been driving for five minutes when a searing pain appeared between his eyes. It felt like a white hot poker was stabbing in his brain. A burning smell surrounded him and pulled out. He pulled over, turning into a hospital car park. Best place for me for having some kind of seizure, he thought. He froze as his he froze as the headache slowly lifted. A shrill Irish voice came into his head. Born in sin, born in sin. He dressed his mirror and looked at what should have been his own face. He was placed by the hideous image of physical and a bad nun. As he felt his conscience slipping away, just the last, his last memory of Blake Baxter was getting out of the car, flicking his zeppo lighter and heading past a sign that read, that, that, that read Children's Wall. As he climbed the steps, he heard a loud, twittering laughter and realised it was coming out of his mouth. It took them two days to pot out the blaze.